Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm a very sick Dwayne. <laughs> and I'm Sammy. Yeah, Dwayne's singing bass this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is another of our uh, world-famous patent-pending holiday specials. And to, uh, <laughs> to keep it on, uh, on point, you know, we're doing office space. For Labor Day. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not been missing it, though. Um, work, that is. Uh, hopefully you're missing the podcast. What, I mean, I don't know. That was a terrible segue. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to office space, I don't think anybody on the air right now is really batting a thousand. <laughs> no. Me, me and Dwayne are both dealing with some physical stuff, and Sammy's in the middle of, you know, trying to learn how to teach during the pandemic. So That's right. <laughs> we're all, we're all impaired in one way or another. <laughs> well, before we get into office space, let's keep it one hundred. It's time to keep it one hundred. One hundred. One hundred. One hundred. And Dwayne, you get to go first. All right, Jamie. Well, on my keeping at 100, I would like to pitch a Netflix documentary. High score. Story of video games. These guys take um, about 40, 45 minute episodes. They start just before Pong when you have like the text-based games. Go into role-playing games. Go into the Nintendo, Atari, Sega battles. Um, it is just a ton of fun. Super well done. Great interviews with uh, legacy um, game makers. And something I had forgotten about. Nintendo Power game counselors that you could call when you were stuck on your SNES games. They actually interview one of those guys. Tons of fun show. Um, I've been watching it with, uh, with my uh, middle son. And uh, he has been just having a blast with it. So... High score on Netflix. Yeah, that, that thing's been trending. Cool. Yeah, we started it. We haven't finished it yet. Awesome. All right, uh, Sammy, uh, you're up next. All right. Uh, so as Jamie kind of alluded to, I haven't had a lot of time for activities <laughs> outside of work recently. <laughs> but I did take time to catch up on the first five episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks. Now, we discussed this on our Comic-Con at Home episode, and I was really looking forward to checking it out. Uh, This is probably the most outrageous Star Trek I've ever seen. This is even more out there than Clumberbatch, okay? Um, Lower Decks follows a group of ensigns that, and it's basically what happens during their duties on the USS Cerritos. Um... It's just a great cast of characters. You have very straight-laced Brad Boimler, a very slacker, streetwise Beckett Mariner. They're not really complicated stories, but they're pretty funny. Um, The fact that the Cerritos is a second contact ship is really kind of within that Star Trek lore. Um, And I was sold after the third episode when they flashed to the future and said the greatest Starfleet officer was Lieutenant Miles O'Brien. And that is one reason that Lower Decks is my keep it at 100. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Uh, 
I guess we'll allow it. We uh, we can't make our do our trait jokes anymore. We we, we guess too much on Wrath of Khan. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so for my keeping at 100, I'm doing a little bit of a mea culpa here. Um, I'm pitching Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis, and I think every podcast I've ever been on, I've made fun of Bendis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One point or another. <laughs> Um, so I'm one of the people complain about him that his story is nothing but dry, boring, page-to-page conversations. Um, and I think this is because I started restarted reading Marvel in about 2012, 2013, and I'd missed Bendis's high point. Um, I had never read early Bendis, and I'm about 70 issues deep in Ultimate Spider-Man, and it's amazing. <laughs> Okay. The story is so compelling. You love the characters. I mean, there's a little bit of like the silliness of the late 90s, early 2000s going on there. But I mean, it's the furthest thing from boring. And and the and sort of the updates and tweaks he does on like the Venom story and the Carnage story and the death of Gwen Stacy and all of those little updates are are interesting twists on how um, things were done before. Um, and, I, and one thing I really appreciate, and I don't think that any comic company does anymore is they kept the same creative team for like forever uh bendis and bagley did the whole thing it seems like i'm like i'm like i'm I'm in the 70s now and they've had the exact same penciler on everything and it really helps the book i mean you just open it up and you you just you feel you're just having that comfortable feel of everything looking the same every time just kind of sucks you in it's like you fall back into the world and i love this peter parker i like him way more than the six months six peter parker (laughs) not even close (laughs) Um, the art is solid, but it's the story and the characters that are mind-blowing. And um, I know that creators change over time. Um, I wish Bendis would kind of go back um, to writing these kind of compelling stories. And so Ultimate Spider-Man is my keeping it 100. Uh, I think Bendis maybe has gotten bored of superheroes. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I, I can see that. Because even with his Superman work now he tries to tie in like a mob feel and a, and a stuff like that more streetwise. So, and I think yeah. that's kind of more of his wheelhouse as far as what he enjoys. So, well, I, I don't read much of the distinguished competition, but, uh, I, I've, I've heard those complaints about being this over there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, Sammy, Sammy, did you get the memo what we're doing this week? Uh, I, I, I think I did. Yeah. Okay. Well, hold on. It's right here. It's right here. Grades. All right. It's on the TPS report. That's right. So my (laughs) TPSs are filled out correctly. Uh, And I guess as opening thought, you know, Office Space is is a very 90s movie in so many ways. I mean, this is 90s comedy. You know, the 80s, I think we can characterize, it's almost the time of teen humor movies, right? In the 90s, though, and especially Office Space, it's like, these are the teens that grew up and now they're in the workforce. Right. <laughs> and it, and it really kind of sheds light on real life, the day to day grind of every job. You know, it doesn't play to that illusion of the perfect job, the perfect life, you know, and, and, you know, my judge is, is showing basically this comedy of errors uh, of real life of just trying to get by day to day. And and I think that that's kind of what I'm thinking about with office space. So as far as grade though, I'm going to go B minus. I'm going to go a little lower on the scale there for me. Typically, I typically tend to uh, go higher on these, but I'm going to go a little B minus on this one. All right. Um, I'm going to give a little, a little bit of context. I saw this movie for the first time 
when I was a business major in college. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so I was college age preparing for business life. Um, so this was the perfect movie for me and all of my business major friends. <laughs> I was living in a suite with seven other guys. And I think six out of the eight were all business majors. And so we watched Office Space on a loop, basically. It's either The Matrix or Office Space that was on our <laughs> living room TV. Um, and this is, this is not a movie without flaws. And some of the mores of the time, I think, will make it hard viewing for someone who wasn't around in 1999. <laughs> um but it's an amazing satire that's both hilarious and a little too close to home. Um, <laughs> there's uh, so many quotable lines and memorable, memorable performances. Uh, I think it's another awesome movie for the greatest year in movie history. I'm going all the way A plus on this one. I, I, Ooh, it's probably okay. nostalgia is probably the context <laughs> I first saw it in, but I adore this movie. Solid A plus for me. Okay. Well, Jamie, a lot similar to you, I did not go to college, but I was working in a cubicle answering the telephone when I saw this movie. Um, I was answering the telephone for Drake TV, 10 hours a day, four days a week. Um, and also, my days off, I would work at GameStop. And so I was the accounts payable, name is speaking, please hold. You know, I was, thank you for calling Drake TV, my name is Dwayne, may I have your home phone number with the area code first, please. Uh, so this movie being in that office, you know, space essentially really hit home on a lot of levels. You know, you had the memos, you had the inappropriate guy, you had the dingy interns, you had the boss who was just, just so clueless, but yeah, this movie is so perfect. Mike judge takes the perfect irreverent view of how Generation X has fit into the workspace. And, you know, we, he took the year 2000 switch that we were all freaking out about. Is the world going to end? Is electricity going to cease? Are, on January 1st, 2000, are we all going to be in the Stone Ages? Little did we know it would wait 20 years to 2020 before we all got back to the Stone Ages. But, uh, yeah, this is almost a perfect movie. I love the cast. I love, you know, and you spoke about it being a, a, a 90s movie. What other movie could have a gangster rap soundtrack? <laughs> you have Scarface, Wu-Tang Clan, Ghetto Boys. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, I'm not even going to say this is nostalgia. I'm just going to say this is a, a great viewing. Uh, a plus. Oh, okay. uh, I'm low man on the totem pole tonight. That, that, that's a weird twist. Usually that I thought. That is a weird twist. I thought we might have had another entry to the Ring of Honor and Sammy ruined it. Yeah, I thought I thought we were going to be on a great stretch. I thought we were going to be on a great little stretch. But, oh, you know, man. just like the offices, there's always someone complaining about the temperature. So let's go turn on the fan. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Hey, fellas. What's happening? Um, <laughs> I wanted to try one Lindbergh. Uh, <laughs> so I get to go first on fan, and I want to go with the supporting cast. Mm. Um, I, everybody in this movie just works. Gary Cole as Lumberg is just the perfect level of obnoxious, overbearing, annoying boss. Uh, drew the office tool bag 
I mean, he's only got like two scenes, and they're all just pitch perfect. We all know that guy. Um, we've all had a Milton. I mean, every office has a Milton in it. Every workplace of any kind has a Milton in it. Uh, maybe not as much of a firebug. Uh, but, I mean, I, I grew up in a very blue-collar neighborhood. Neighborhood. I work in a blue-collar job right now. I know lots of Lawrences. Um, <laughs> almost everybody in this movie embodies a, a whole host of types of people that we know. And they all do them so well. Um, the casting director, she got a ton of credit for finding all these people for all of these small parts. And I think Mike Judge should get some credit for that, too, because, you know, most of these people were there for one. Orlando Jones wasn't on set for more than one day. Right. Um, right. Uh, Drew wasn't there for more than one day. Uh, Gary Cole could have done all of his stuff for, what, two, three days? I mean, he's popping in for very yeah. short scenes. And so think about it, this is a weird movie. So to get all these people in for very short parts of their filming – get them in the movie, get the feel of what they're going for, get those performances out of them, and then shuffle them off and move on. I mean, that's a pretty amazing directing. I, I mean, I, I just I think that would be hard to get the, to understand what this movie is on such short notice like that. And so I just, I just, I'm really impressed with the, the actors' jobs doing these small roles and also just what, what put them all in place to succeed. So my fan is the supporting cast. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jamie, you took mine. And I'm not even going to try to pick another one. I'm not even going to try to pick another one. Uh, you know, the dialogue is wonderful. The music is wonderful. The editing, the cuts, the almost, you know, it is almost a sketchy type show, but it flows so well. But yeah, these side characters, I mean, Mike Judge nailed, um, you know, these, um, you know, overarching types of folks that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Lawrence, the neighbor, hey, Peter, turn on channel nine, you know. Uh, <laughs> And you know Milton, you know, just just this little squirrely guy, just just you know, kind of not fitting in anywhere. But yeah, the the side characters, the cast, I mean, was phenomenal. That's that's my definite fan as well. I'm not even going to try something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know, okay. So so even though I gave it the lowest grade, you know, I do agree with that. Jamie mentioned that this movie is a satire. And it is a perfect satire of work life because all of these people we know, we've seen them, we've worked with them. All of these are very much archetypes of people that we have have seen and met at some point. Um, And what I like about this, because it is such a satire, is, you know, when you're young, sometimes you have these kind of pie in the sky attitudes about what adult life and work's going to be like. You know, you're going to, you know, we, we all want to be Lumberg in some ways, driving in in our cool car. And, you know, and, and then we find out that we're duct taping the bumper on most of the time. You know, I mean, that's just life. Right. And so I think this movie really encapsulates a generation. And I kind of alluded this to this before a generation that kind of grew up on John Hughes movies only to find out that life isn't a rom-com. <laughs> and, and, and it's just not what they really thought it was going to be. And and they're just so, you know, poking fun at that in this movie. <laughs> and they, just, and they nail it. I mean, I mean, is there a better satire than this? I mean, that, that, that hits on every label the way this one does. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to find one. Mm-hmm. Well, Sandy could, he gave something a B minus, but, but you know, I mean, hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 
I have reasons. I have reasons. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I didn't see one in either Peter or Lawrence's apartments, but I'm sure there's a pan laying around here on the podcast somewhere. All right, Dwayne, you get to go first. What's your pain? Well, you know, I know I talked about how great the characters were, how how wonderful the delivery, and how well it flows together. One thing that kind of took me out of the movie, this viewing especially, and I've and I've kind of felt this in the past, and it just kind of hit home as I was analyzing and thinking about it. Um, Peter almost sounds like a storyteller. He almost his narrative as he's speaking just kind of doesn't sit quite right with me. Um, I, I don't know, uh, you know, how else to describe it, but it's almost too strong on that narrator. You know, well, you know, I just don't, you know, just his delivery. Um, it was really one of the few things that I could find wrong with this movie. But you know, that's that's just going to be my small little pan there. I can make an omelet in. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you give it an A plus, you got to reach. So yeah, there you go, there you go. All right, Sammy. All right. Okay. You know, I think one of the reasons I went B minus is comes into my pans. You know, we've all talked about how well that the actors really inhabit the roles and, and how we've got these characters we all recognize. But I just think in this movie, all of them are just a bit one dimensional. They hit their note. And that's all they hit. I mean, it's, it's the note that I know the movie wants them to hit, but it just, we don't get, there's only one character in this to me that has any type of, you know, fullness of character. And, and we'll talk about that in the awards. Uh, so, but, but I just think overall motivations and backstories, especially were pretty flat overall. You know, I get that these are supposed to be characters, but I just didn't even feel like the main character w- was that a really strong person that 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 i could kind of follow a story arc for you know hmm. but that was me like i said <laughs> well sam you talk about them being one note characters only hitting that one note this is not jazz this is punk rock they hit that note and it's the right note <laughs> and it's loud and it's over the top and... <laughs> uh mine's another one of my script doctor you know, n- nonsense things I do. Um, <laughs> so the, at the beginning, the hypnotherapist bit is funny, but it's the least real thing in the movie. It's the thing that kind of sticks out. of like It doesn't fit with the satire. And I know they needed to get Peter in a position where he was suddenly relaxed, not taking anything seriously. Um, so it just doesn't, it doesn't fit very well with the rest of the movie. And it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. 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 Uh, I get why they did it. I just wish there'd been another way, um, another way to get Peter in that kind of mental framework that didn't just stick out as so ridiculous. Um, so yeah, uh, that's. I mean, it's not a lot. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a weird thing that doesn't fit well. Right. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of the hypnosis either. It wasn't very well explained, and you know the the implications there weren't uh, weren't you know landed very well. Yeah. And it's not very clear like when it you know you know, wears off. Like me and Edna, as we were watching this, we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out like, when, when does he snap out of it? Cause it's clearly <laughs> at, there's a point where he's not really that same, like completely under hypnosis, you know, just going with the flow of everything. Um, and so we were trying to figure out when that happened. So it's not clear at all. Right. It's like, it's like, it's like, okay, we got this set up. I don't think about it anymore. Let's just move on. Um, yeah. I, 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 still, I still love it. 
Well, Jamie, do you think that maybe if they approached it from a more, you said kind of a realistic point of view, like he's just had all he could take and he's just like, you know what? I don't care anymore. You know, cause I mean, we've all been to a point in a job at yeah. some point that we're just like, you've taken all you could take you, you and you're just like, I don't care at this point. I don't care <laughs> what happens. I'm just going to show up, you know, kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. This so, is Milton's last straw. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. if that would, I think, been a lot more believable yeah. than the hypnosis angle. So, I mean, it was a funny scene. It just, it's just, it doesn't fit with the way, with the vibe of the rest of the movie. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of strange. But, you know, I don't know how much awards you could give to software developers. But let's go ahead and have an office meeting and hand out some awards. Sammy, uh, we're first out of the gate with best performance. Who you got? All right. So, you know, I think for best performance, I have to go with uh, Gary Cole as Bill Lumberg. All right. He is the perfect, almost holdover from that 80s greed is good corporate America. Right. So, I mean, and, and I know I just keep hitting this, but, but that's what I keep thinking about decade to decade. And, you know, Cole was, well, Lumberg is what, 41. So, I mean, he's been working in the business since that time period. So he's this perfect holdover. I mean, he's that boss that is clearly overcompensating from the Porsche 911 to the belt <laughs> and suspenders combo, which is just, it's a nice just, it's just a fashion no-no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one or the other. You don't double up. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that's my best performance. My, uh, the moment I knew that Lundberg was a, was a giant tool was when he parks the Porsche and then stops to admire it. Like it's, yeah. it's his own car, you know? It's just <laughs> only a gigantic whole bag of tools person. Does something like that. <laughs> Pulls in goes, yeah, that's yeah. mine. <laughs> Well, Sam, I would have to go ahead and agree with you on that and say, you know, I'm, I'm coming on Saturday. <laughs> Gary Collins Lumberg is, he just chews that character up, you know, like you're talking about <laughs> from the, you know, he, and he does come from like that yuppie era. You could tell uh-huh. he's just that great is good. You know, the, I love that all of his shirts have the white collar, white cuffs, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful. And he always has the cup of coffee, <laughs> even even in uh, Peter's dream. Yeah, could you just yep. move up a yep. little? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna go with David Herman as Michael Bolton. Yes. Um, everything he does in this movie feels real. Like, he's like the one actor in the movie where I don't stop and think about. Like, I'm not evaluating. I'm just believing everything he does and just rolling with it. Every single moment, there's no evaluation. It's just, that's Michael Bolton doing his thing. Um, Every moment of frustration and anger. I mean, every bit of it. It was all so natural and spot on. It's just, you don't think about it. You just watch him. Whereas, like, with Ron Livingston, I'm kind of thinking, okay, you know, where's the hypnosis? How's he playing this? 
Um, you're thinking about Gary Colson, the things you've seen him in, like, you know, what's he doing? I mean, all that kind of stuff where I, I do anyway, but with Michael Bolton, just rolled with it. I mean, and just was eyes glued to him whenever he was on screen. And just and just the mixture of the guy who was so in love with gangster rap, but still has the nerdy glasses, the short sleeve button up shirt that he wears to work. I mean, all of it. It's just it was great. David Herman is Michael Bolton. He's he's perfect. Yeah, yeah. and he's got what the Navy SEALs poster from the the movie in his <laughs> cubicle, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, our next award is Best Scene, and I have the privilege of going first. I'm going to go with the printer beatdown. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And the the music, you know, the really hardcore, you know, gangster rap going on, the goofy way they assault it, the goofy way that, uh, what's his name, Amir? I can't remember his Samir. name. Samir. 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 The way he's doing those awkward kicks on it. And then, and then when Michael Bolton loses it, drops to his knees and, and he starts punching, punching it, it with his fists. And then he leaves dragging part of it like he's got a trophy. He's carrying back with him. I just, I love everything about that scene. Oh, I, I, I just, I have to agree completely, <laughs> Jamie. That, that, that hands down, just that, that scene alone. I, I, and I think it's probably the most popular scene in the movie in general, you know. Um, just because that's the one that's referenced the most. And, you know, we've all had those devices that we would like to pitch. Uh, my students have heard me very often. Up until this year, I finally got a new desktop in my classroom. Uh, the old one, I just, I would tell them if I had a baseball bat, I'd beat this thing to death right now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it was so slow. Um, but yeah, and, and you're right. David Herman as Michael Bolton. So I still can't say that and keep a straight face. Um, just letting loose on that thing was so funny. You know, Samira Peter was good, but, but when he let loose that pinup anger on that Samsung man, that was like, that was, that was everybody wanting to let loose. So. And, and he really dredged up some pain from somewhere in his past. And at least in that scene. <laughs> Yeah. And when they yeah. tried to pull him off and he tried to get back <laughs> at it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that was a beautiful scene. The going away present, uh, the, the destroying of the printer. Um, that's what I had down, but I'm going to go ahead and just pick another one out because I think I think we're gonna have a lot of similar awards on this one, but just because this is such a fun movie and these some of these scenes are so iconic. But I'm going to go with uh, Peter coming to work late just to get his address book because you don't want to lose <laughs> Joanne's number. <laughs> and you've got Scarface playing in the background. He's he's getting the drill from the maintenance guy, taking off the door handle that shocks him every time he goes in there. You know, <laughs> and and then when he sits down and has the meeting with the mobs, you know, that, yeah, that is another. It. Beautiful, beautiful scene. Just after after his break, you know, after his, uh, you know, hypnosis, whatever you want to say happens. That's that's where I'm going. That's I love that scene. The music is so perfect. The pacing. Yeah, I've got a number. I don't want to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that meeting with the Bob. So, so Peter, you've been missing a lot of work. Well, I would say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> Just those meetings are that was my red rep. All of the meetings with the balls. Yeah, those are good. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Well, I have the distinct pleasure in a movie of all these great characters of telling you guys who I think the best character is. 
I'm going to go with a little side character. Peter's neighbor, Lawrence, played by Diedrich Bader. <laughs> He's just such a tool. And he knows it. You know, <laughs> Lawrence, what would you do with the million bucks? You know what I'd do? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, and he admits, well, you don't need a million dollars to do that. And he says, well, kind of chicks that double up on a guy like me. <laughs> You know, he's just perfect. I love everything I've ever seen Diedrich Bader in, from his voice work to his on-screen acting. He's just a brilliant performer. Uh, love the man. So, yeah, Lawrence Diedrich Bader uh, is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, well, he, he's going to come up again <laughs> later. Um, but I'm going to go with Peter. Um, I, I just feel for the guy. I don't think he gives the best performance, but... But there's also a lot of wish fulfillment in there. I mean, how many days would you have loved to have been Peter? You know, coming in completely dressed, you know, not appropriate for work, tear your cubicle apart, just walk around your boss in the hallway. Yeah, sidestep. Go into those <laughs> stressful meetings and just let it rip. I mean, <laughs> then to get thought of as a straight center of upper management written all over him. You know, just, it was just yeah. so good. It was funny. Yeah, and with with, the, with a, only a few exceptions, Ron Livingston nails that character. There's a couple of scenes where I don't I don't buy his performance, but yeah, just right. I, I love the character of Peter. And there's I, there's a lot of days I just wish I could roll at least one <laughs> one day as Peter through my workplace. <laughs> oh, mercy! All right, so I went with the paramour. I went with Joanna in this as, as best character, because, you know, I alluded to, I felt like most of these characters, very one dimensional. They, they hit their punk rock note as Dwayne alluded to, you know, but I think she was the most developed of anybody else. I really did. And it may just be the fact that it's Jennifer Aniston, but, um, you know, nothing says the nineties like Jennifer Aniston. Right. I mean, this was smack dab right in the middle of her, her run on friends. You know, this was smack dab right in the middle of a 10 year run on friends. Uh, but just the character, I just thought she was very well developed. She was very level headed. Um, I think it's funny that Aniston's middle name is actually Joanna and that was her character. So I thought that was funny. Um, but, but I just, and I love it when she loses it on her boss. I mean, over the flare. I mean, that, that's another one of those that, that you just had all you could take, you know, see, I could get her because I worked at a Burger King. I didn't work in an office. I worked in a Burger King. And if I had just a little bit of facial hair, the manager got on to me going, you got to shave. You know, I mean, it was it was that kind of thing. And, and you just wanted to lose it sometimes. And when she does that, that that just endeared her, that character to me. Um, I loved it. So. Yeah, I, I strongly considered her for my best character. She's a great character. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the moment where he tells like he's pitching the, what day they're going to have. Like, I want to take you out to dinner. Why don't you come back to my apartment and watch Kung Fu with me? That was I great, wasn't it? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so random. Here we go. Our next award is best quote. And Sammy, um, 
You have so many options. Yes. Just throw a dart and um, pick one. Well, you know, you kind of already said I had a couple different ones on this because I had a feeling that, you know, like you said, there's a number of them. You kind of threw out one of my favorites. So I'm going to go with another one. I love the exchange between Peter and Michael when he's explaining the the, the, the setup, what they're going to do. And Peter goes, you know, this sounds familiar. And Michael replies, yeah, they did it in Superman 3. (laughs) (laughs) They call it an underrated movie. Yes, yes. (laughs) And and, and I was thinking it. You know, I've not seen this movie in years. And as soon as they start explaining taking the pennies off and all that, I was like, what about Richard Pryor did? And then they came right in with that line. And I'm like, yes, that's it right there. (laughs) That's a great pull very early on, uh, you know, to a classic movie. Mm-hmm. Classic-ish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to go with a quote from one of the meetings with the Bobs. And so <laughs> they sit him down and says, see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, great. Peter says, well, generally I come in at least 15 minutes late. I use the side door. The way Lumberg can't see me. And after that, I sort of space out for about an hour. Uh, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. I do that for probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I'll probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. <laughs> and the laid back, you know, I'm completely under hypnosis for the delivery of that. It's just good. I love it. Yep. And I love the real, actual work at the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with a, a Peter quote as well. And I'm going to do when he's uh, sitting there talking to Joanne the first time. And he says, yeah, I don't like my job. So I don't think I'm going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> just just tell him, yeah, I don't like my job. So I just don't think I'm going to go back. I don't want to go anymore. So you're going to quit? No, I'm just not going to go. <laughs> What about beat your bills? I never like paying those either. I don't like pay that anymore either. I had a runner. I couldn't decide. I've got a runner's up. Can I just mention that one too? Go for it. All right. So it's Peter again. He's talking. This is when things are starting to go sideways. And so he's talking to Michael. He says, it's not just about me and my dream of doing nothing. It's about all of us. I don't know what happened to me if I hit my therapist. And I don't know. Maybe it was just shock. It's wearing off now. When I saw that fat man kill over and die, Michael, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. We weren't meant to spit it this way. Human beings were not meant to sit in little cubicles staring at computer screens all day, filling out useless forms and listening to eight different bosses drone out about mission statements. <laughs> and that's one of those moments. That's where I think he comes out of the hypnosis. Because mm-hmm. he's showing some fire again. But yeah. Right. I just love the line about him and his dream of doing nothing. <laughs> 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 See, my other one was the one you already alluded to. He says, well, I wouldn't really say I'm missing work, <laughs> That was my other one. <laughs> I, I snuck in a few already. You know, the straight shooter with upper manager written all over it. That's right. <laughs> uh, I couldn't decide, so I snuck five onto the episode. Um, so the next one is best scene stealer, uh, scene stealer and I'm, Dwayne already stole my thing on this. I'm going with Diedrich Bader. That dude steals every scene he's in. <laughs> it's the hair, the mustache, the way he walks. 
every like the the voice he's doing, the accent, like all of it. Uh, that dude steals every scene he's in, man. I just, everything he does is funny too. Uh, it's wild. I love Dedrick in this movie, and he's got his own bottle opener. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's some of those weird little touches in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, just, just those strange little things. Um, as far as a scene stealer, I'm going to go with a, a lady that's already been named here. And Jennifer Aniston's Joanne. She plays so subtle in this, uh, I believe, you know, compared to some of these other over the top guys. And, you know, she's an, you know, an outsider from the office and she's looking in. And, you know, she, she, she that's where you kind of get, start to get the moral compass with Peter. So, how's that not stealing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you're going to make a lot of money. And it's not yours? Well, it becomes ours. <laughs> so how's that not stealing? Yeah, her, her just whole uh, subtle performance. She's really a, a beautiful heart and anchor for this movie, I believe. And way out of his league. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> might be the might be the least believable thing in the movie. <laughs> uh, all right. So the last award is best scene or best thing or what something in the movie that felt too real. And so, Dwayne, what do you got, man? We skipped Sammy, didn't we? I was going to say I believe we skipped Sammy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Sammy, what's your scene stealer? So I'm we, sorry. we were still I just let it roll. Thunder. I just no, let it roll. It's fine. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, my scene stealer had to be Milton. Milton Adams. <laughs> Played by Stephen Root. Um, even in the background, you're paying attention to what that guy's doing when he's in a scene. Yeah. You know, whether it be over the stapler or his paycheck or the cake. Mean, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I felt for him on that cake. Seriously. Um, and you know, St- Stephen Root just becomes becomes this character, and yeah. he's just weird and off the wall. I'm really interested because see, Stephen Root is voicing Cringer on the new Netflix He-Man. So I'm really interested to see what he brings to Cringer. So, I don't think Cringer will be looking for a stapler, though. I was going to so. say, is Cringer going to run swing line? As long as he doesn't burn down <laughs> Castle Grayskull, we're okay. <laughs> oh, mercy, when he was running off at the end looking back. <laughs> no salt. Um, I'll take my traveling checks to a competing resort. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Right. Best thing that felt too real. What you got? Oh goodness. The multiple bosses. <laughs> Just the multiple supervisors walking around and yep. you know, all saying the same thing, a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> that is so a couple jobs I've had. Just have like, okay, what does this person have in mind? Okay, now what's this person gonna come out and tell me to do differently? Then the last two people told me. But yeah, the multiple bosses uh, at work, that that was really scary as to how accurate <laughs> it actually is in some, in some instances. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the bureaucracy. So I'm kind of jumping in there too. But like the bureaucracy and the office politics of, of Inatech felt so real and so, so horrible. There are moments <laughs> I am physically repulsed by the people Peter's working with in this movie. I, I despise all of that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it hurts watching it all happen. I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, there were moments I was physically cringing as I was watching this stuff. I just, <laughs> 
bureaucracy. Humans, I'm with Peter. Humans weren't meant for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I guess mine kind of goes goes very similarly along that. It's just the social structure of the office. You know, like we talked about, all of those roles are there, and it really took me back to a um, a manager. Well, wasn't really a manager. It was well, he was an upper level manager that I knew one time. Okay, I worked with a guy named Bob, funny enough, and a girl named Bobby, and the upper level manager's name was Bob, and it was. And and the first time he comes in, he introduces himself and and it's, "Hey, I'm Bob. Hey, I'm Bob. I'm Bobby." And I say, "Hi, my name's Sammy." Well, that's great, but too bad your name's not Bob, you know. And I'm just like, <laughs> "All right." <laughs> So yeah, that 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 whole social structure, especially with the management and stuff, felt real to me. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the scene I think was when the lady uh, goes by and says, "Somebody go to Case of the Mondays," and that look <laughs> that Michael Bolton gives her, I, I was giving to everything that happens inside in a tech the whole movie. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, you've got that overly happy person. You've got that totally inappropriate person. You've got the the jerk boss. You've you've got, like I said, all all those archetypes in there. So. <laughs> yeah. At, uh, where I work now, we've got kind of a comp. My, my department is kind of like a complicated structure, and I never really. I'm not really quite sure which master I'm trying to please at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so like when the when the second manager comes by to tell me about the memo, then he answers the phone about the memo. I'm like, oh, that feels that feels too familiar. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, you know, this movie uh, is about offices and computers and memos and all of that fun stuff. Someone who wreaked some havoc in a computer in this very same year. Rising against the machines is our beloved Keanu Reeves. Jamie, does Keanu have case of the Mondays? <laughs> Did he get the memo? Are his TPS reports in order? Where does Keanu connect to our office space? Well, one thing we could have said is it looks like the cubicle he's in at the beginning of the Matrix was on the set of Inatech. Um <laughs> But I'm not going there. Um, there are a ton of like cameos in this movie. It's little small roles that are incredibly memorable. My favorite of them is uh, is McGinley as one of the Bobs. I just I love yeah. I love that man. I love him uh, as Doctor Cox, but as the Bob mm-hmm. here. Um, but there is an actor in this movie, and it's not McGinley. I tried. I wanted it to be McGinley um, with a very small <laughs> part in a very short scene. Who's had one of those careers that just doesn't make sense to me? He had about a three year run where things were looking up, and I thought he was about to take off. Um, I'd become a big fan. I thought he was going to be a big-time player, but for some reason it didn't work out. Uh, Sometimes it's because people are quirky, and there aren't obvious roles for them, which may be the case with this guy. Sometimes people get a swollen sense of self-importance and become insufferable. But for whatever reason, after Mad TV, Office Space, Magnolia, Double Take, and Evolution, and even Drumline, this actor's career kind of sputtered. Now, he's kept working, he's been busy, but Orlando Jones never became the star that I thought he was going to be. Yeah. Well, so in the midst of that great run, um, when the star was about to bloom and never actually bloomed, uh, <laughs> at the turn of the century, 
Orlando Jones played Clifford Franklin, a wide receiver in the replacements, where he had the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure to catch passes from our beloved Keanu. Orlando Jones is our Keanu connection. That's great. Nice. I'm so glad it was him. Uh, yeah, he is one of those characters I thought was really going to take off, and he just sort of disappeared off yeah. of the, the big names for a while, but yeah, he's the- phenomenal actor. Yeah, from 99 to 2002, he keeps getting bigger and bigger parts and bigger and bigger movies. Mm-hmm. And then he just falls off the map. There's like voice work and like TV stuff and like indie movies the rest of the way through. It's it's weird. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I, I thought he was going to be big. Um, it just didn't work out. All right. So, um, unfortunately, we're done with Office Space. <laughs> we could just watch it again this again next week. Guys. We could do a whole other set of quotes. Another whole other set of scenes. A whole set of scenes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but um, we're not rolling the dice this week. Um, the nerd world has been pretty eventful uh, since our last news episode, and so we're going to be rolling into the news next week. Um, I think we've got a lot to talk about, fellas. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Quite a bit is happening. So, Jamie, as we prepare for our news episode, what are we going to do till next time? We're going to make sure we keep our cover letter and our TPS reports as we keep it nerdy. Nerdy.